Why is salt salty? Well, you would be too if you kept getting pitched. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starting Sustainability. This is episode 141. I am your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Starting Sustainability. Not too much has happened since our last episode, which aired the day after Easter, but I recorded it the day before Easter. Anyways, I kind of left you hanging a little bit. Our eggs, we dyed them using food products. If you don't remember, we used beets for the red, purple cabbage, or red cabbage to get the blue color, and then turmeric to get the yellow color, and then I mixed the primary colors together in order to get orange and green and purple. Anyways, we put the eggs in the jars with the food coloring, or with the the dyes, the dyed water from the foods. <laughs> that was really complex to explain. Sorry about that. Put the eggs in them. We let them soak overnight. And in the morning, they were very vibrant. I thought they were going to be pretty pastel. And instead, they were much more rich in color and vibrant than I thought they were going to be. I was very pleasantly surprised with the way our Easter eggs turned out. I did take pictures and shared them up on the Starting Sustainability Facebook group. Hopefully, you saw them already. If not, that means you're probably not a member of the group. And I highly recommend that you join. Also, I'd like to take this moment to announce that I have a big gigantic canker sore on the side of my tongue and every time I talk, it is rubbing up against my molars. It's actually been there for about three days now and I keep waiting for it to go away, but I am now out of time and need to record this podcast. So I apologize if my words get a little slurry. <laughs> right now I'm good, but I'm sure after talking for a while, it's going to get pretty irritated and I'm going to start talking out of the side of my mouth to help reduce the pain at that point. Anyway, this past weekend, because I already told you all about Easter weekend, but this past weekend, I ended up flying to Florida to visit my good friends, April and Carol. Carol has been on the podcast a few times. You might remember her. I interviewed her about the food pantry that she volunteers at, and she was also a contestant on the 50th episode trivia game. Since then, it's been a while, we're at what, episode 141, so it's been quite some time, but since then, the food pantry has grown exponentially, so much that they hired a grant writer to help win grants to help cover the expenses to run the food pantry, like vehicles to go and pick up the food, the gas or the vehicle's insurance, trailers to haul the food, as well as freezers and coolers to store the food in, the electricity and repair bills to run all of this stuff, and enough money to hire Carol full-time to run the pantry. So previously she was a volunteer. She volunteered for many years, and now she gets to run it full-time, which is a very heartfelt dream job for Carol, which is awesome. And she gets to work there full-time with her good friend Monica. It is truly a wonderful place for Carol to be. The food pantry feeds... 250 families when they are open. They're open twice a week. They're open Sunday after church and on Wednesdays. So that is 500 families a week because they're open two days a week, 250 each. Oh, and those families are actually on a rotation and can only pick up once every three weeks. And that's because the need and the demand for food is so high. 
that is truly 1,500 families every three weeks that they are feeding. That is amazing. That is very powerful. And it's all food that would have been thrown away. Isn't that mind-blowing? The food pantry contracted with Target, Starbucks, Big Lots, Walmart, Publix, and Winn-Dixie, and they get the food those stores are not able to sell because either the food is expired, about to expire, or out of season, or it's something simple like you have a five-pound bag of potatoes, one of the potatoes is bad, the store cannot do anything about it other than get rid of the entire bag of potatoes. At the pantry, they can put their hand in there, pull out the bad potato, and now you've got, what, 19, 20 other good potatoes that can still feed families in need. And what does the food pantry do with that rotten potato? They throw it in their compost bin. (laughs) Obviously, I'm a huge fan and supporter of the food pantry. And if you have one in your hometown, go check it out, support it, volunteer at it any way you can. And if you don't, maybe consider starting one. You start small. You don't have to start feeding 1,500 families, (laughs) but you can definitely small and help out any way you can. Get something started at your church or at your community center, someplace, somewhere. Go to the neighboring town. If they've got one, you can do it. The true reason that I went down to Florida to visit was because, unfortunately, April and Carol kind of fell on some bad luck. April fell and broke her shoulder, leaving her with one arm, and Carol's mom passed away. So I flew down this past weekend for four days to help them out with getting the celebration of life set up and doing all the small chores that are suddenly not important at all when your world is turned upside down, like the dishes and the laundry and vacuuming the carpet, all of that stuff. I do want to take this moment to give a huge thank you to Channing, my husband, for taking care of the kids and the house while I was out for four days. And it was a big undertaking for him, but it meant the world to me and it meant a lot to April and Carol and their family. It is important to support one another, people or businesses or really anything that we choose to support really casts a vote on how we want the world to evolve. How do we want the future to come out? What is it that we want to change in a positive way for ourselves as well as our children and grandchildren and generations to come? So it really is truly important to pick who or what we support. And I'm not just saying go out there and literally vote, but just every time you make a purchase of anything, if you are choosing to purchase plastic straws over a sustainable reusable straw, that tells the manufacturers and marketers what it is that we as people want. So when we collectively come together and support a good cause, that cause gains traction and gets moving forward and spreads and ripples through our society as well as other societies and humanity in general. You have heard me up here many, many times talking about supporting different eco-focused, sustainability-conscious things that save the environment. And that is true. Oh, I still support that. (laughs) And I still want you to do that. Today, I'm going to change direction just a little bit. And I'm going to talk about supporting women and diversity. Now that I'm in the HR role, I'm embracing it and learning in detail many things that I kind of sort of knew previously. For example, the EEOC. 
When applying to jobs, I would see that the company I was applying to was an equal employment opportunity company. That's your EEOC. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) That's all I got out of that. (laughs) That means that they are not discriminatory and they offer jobs to everyone. Great. That's wonderful. But I didn't really understand it until I took on the HR role. And recently on Netflix, I saw a documentary called This Changes Everything, and it's by Gina Davis. I found it fascinating and really wanted to share it with all of you. Like I said, today's episode is not strongly sustainability related, but it is an homage to supporting women and why it is so important. Just like it's important we support sustainable, local, organic, and fair trade items and products, supporting women does make an impactful difference. We're going to talk about Hollywood's big scandal. And that's what I mean. Hollywood itself is a big giant scandal. (laughs) Let me break it down for you. Hollywood has a long-standing history of bias against women and minorities. In the 1920s, women writers, directors, and producers dominated the silent film industry. It wasn't until the addition of sound where men started taking over. Unions were formed and worked very hard to keep women out of the industry. Men rule over Hollywood. The Directors Guild of America was formed in 1936, and it was all males with the exception of one female. Since then, most of television and film is men making stuff for other men, and women directors are heavily excluded. Think about the shows you watched growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Most had all-male characters. If there was a female character... She was the only one, and she was surrounded by a group of males. Women get the roles of being the girlfriend who gets ditched, or the woman who gets saved. And don't forget, she must be beautiful. White, straight men from upper-class backgrounds are the dominant producers in the film industry. 72% of the roles for actors and 80% of narrators are filled by men. Most of the people writing the checks to support the movie are men. Most of the people in charge of distribution decisions are men. And most of the reviewers are men. In 2018, 77.8% of reviewers on Rotten Tomatoes were male. In study after study, the male-directed movies get bigger distribution to get on more screens and get more advertising dollars. Do you know what Title VII is? Title VII of the Civil Rights Act prohibits workplace discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, and national origin. Title VII led to the creation of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. The EEOC was created to look out for the rights of people in the field of employment. In 1969, the EEOC sent investigators into the studios of Hollywood and found a pattern of practice that was discrimination. Unfortunately, the Nixon administration at that time failed to enforce Title VII in Hollywood. This failure has allowed gender inequality continue for decades. Women are half of the population, so why aren't half of the characters in movies women? Why isn't Congress half women? Progress for women stalls out at 15 to 20% 
in so many different sectors. Could it be that film and TV have trained us to see groups of people with only 15-17% to women as normal? It is tough for women to get on screen. And once they're on screen, how are they treated? I want to talk to you about the Bechdel-Wallace test. That's Bechdel, B-E-C-H-D-E-L, Bechdel-Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E. So Bechdel-Wallace test. This is a very simple test to figure out how women are treated on screen. The film or show must have two lead women. They must have a conversation. And that conversation must be about something that is not a man. That's the whole entire test. (laughs) If the movie or TV show passes, there is a simple logo of a red A with a circle around it. So if this logo appears on the film or show, that means it is Bechdel Wallace approved. And more than half of the films and TV shows coming out today fail this test. That is extremely eye-opening because this test isn't that hard. It is. You got to have two women who are in lead and they have to have a conversation. They have to have talking lines and it has to be a conversation about something that is not a man. That is it. (laughs) It can literally be 30 seconds of the movie and it will pass this test. And more than half of the films coming out today fail. They fail. It's ludicrous. I want to explain how Hollywood is set up. Movie studios determine which films they want to produce. The studios give the projects to the Director's Guild. The Director's Guild is 84% white males currently, right now. Men receive a vast majority of the studio projects, 99.5% to be exact. That is leaving one half percent for the female directors. Then the male directors hire assistant directors who hire second assistant directors. At this point, it's like they are actively choosing to not hire women or people in minority groups. There are even agencies, and they are set up to provide lists of writers, set designers, camera operators, all of it. Women and people of minority groups rarely make these lists. Men in Hollywood get paid more, and agencies take a percentage Therefore, the agents promote the males over the females in order to make more money. Doesn't that make you want to vomit? Because it makes me want to vomit. I'm sure you've heard your human resource representative or person talk about diversity in the workplace. And to be honest, diversity in the workplace is really good economics as well as the right thing to do. People in senior leadership can really change an organization. Having a specific plan in their talent strategy about diversity and inclusion and being very persistent to make sure you're getting the best access to the pool of talent you can will really, truly have a positive effect on the organization. I want to share an example with you. At ABC, the network, Susan Lynn became president of ABC Entertainment. Shonda Rhimes wrote Grey's Anatomy. This is a medical show with a fully diverse cast with diverse points of view and female leads. The pilot screenings are predominantly male. So the screeners who watch this are predominantly male. One screener said, quote, that the show was appalling. 
and the screenwriters wanted Dr. Gray to be a wholesome, well-mannered, sexy girl, and Shonda Rhimes, bless her heart, refused. (laughs) At that time, the Gray's Anatomy cast was 50% non-white. Susan Lynn, as the president, had to fight very hard to get Grey's Anatomy to air. She called to announce the green light for Grey's Anatomy, and a male executive on the other end literally hung up on her. Grey's Anatomy airs in 220 territories around the world and is a multi-billion dollar franchise for ABC parent Disney. Ha! Eat that! Because of Grey's Anatomy's success, Shonda Rhimes was then able to take that power and do something remarkable. She continued on with hit shows with powerful and smart female leads like Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder. And in case you didn't figure it out, I'm a big Grey's Anatomy fan and I'm a huge Shonda Rhimes fan and clearly most of the world is because it is a very successful show. The point is, when you have diverse creators making diverse content, you get representations of experiences you never would have gotten otherwise. I have another fascinating example for you. Let's take a look at the world of TV, and we're going to look at every single network, ABC, CBS, CW, Netflix, Fox, Showtime, all of them. (laughs) Make a chart representing the directors of all of the shows that air. And on that chart, you're gonna separate the directors into four categories, white male, white female, non-white male, non-white female. That's it. And of all of those networks, they went through and did this, and the network with the worst track record was FX. In 2012 and 2013, 89% of director hires were white men at FX. The CEO of FX is John Landgraf. And he thought of himself as an enlightened individual and even described himself as a feminist. He was absolutely stunned by the results of his network. He then inquired deeply about the challenges faced by women and minorities and decided to do something to change the situation. Good job, John. Round of applause. (laughs) So after getting called out, FX overhauled its efforts to hire more diverse TV directors. In January 2016, John Landgraf wrote a letter to all of the showrunners asking them to help FX to be better, but also told them FX would provide them with all of the resources necessary to make that successful. Then in July 2016, which is only six months later, their stats went from 89% of directors being white males down to 49%. That's a pretty drastic improvement. The CEO admitted he had an unconscious bias that they would have to make sacrifices in order to hire people with less experience. But that was just a bias. Once FX opened up their doors and let diverse directors express their work, the work got better. In 2018, FX received 50, 50 Emmy nominations. This was a direct result of the CEO being totally invested. Next time you hear your HR person talking about diversity and inclusion in the workplace, 
listen really hard because it truly does have a positive impact for both the people and the business. It's time for your challenge. Next time you go to watch a movie or TV show, I want you to see if it passes the Bechdel Wallace test. For a quick review, it's a very simple test. You gotta have two women who are leads. They must have a conversation and it can be about anything that is not a man. That's it. You can also do the Bechdel Wallace test. You can look that up online and find a list of movies and TV shows that are approved. And that also help you jumpstart to see which movies you want to watch and support. I do encourage you to take a look whenever you do find a movie or TV show with strong female leads written by and produced by females to watch it. Like I said at the beginning, the more we do this and the more we support other women, the more we are casting a vote of what we want in the future. And I want to see women being treated equally and being supported by everybody, not just women supporting women, but everybody should support women because we've got some really cool things to offer, not just in the world of Hollywood, but for all business sectors, movies and film and industry, but as well as business and running a business, women can do trade positions as well. There are women electricians and women mechanics and welders and lawyers and doctors and policemen and firemen and pharmacists, engineers, all of it. Women can do everything. <laughs> I'm even prepared to say that women can actually do more than men. We can give birth. <laughs> we can manage 12 activity schedules for our three kids all at the same time and plan one gigantic calendar for everybody to abide by. <laughs> we can plan out all of the menus. We can plan out the menu for the week and do the grocery shopping and multitask, knock out all of the laundry, and do this all while having a cold and not complaining about it. Yes, that was a joke towards the man cold because I don't know what it is, but men just cannot handle the common cold very well. We can as women. <laughs> Some might argue that women aren't as strong as men. And then I turn around and say, have you seen a CrossFit competition lately? We got some pretty strong women too. All joking aside, women and men are created equal. We can contribute to society equally. And we should definitely be supporting each other and promoting each other and hiring each other and embracing one another. The next episode is going to be on May 8th. Oh yeah, that reminds me. By the way, <laughs> Saturday, April 22nd, which was two days ago, that was Earth Day. <laughs> Hopefully you remembered and planted a tree or a bush, a flower, herbs, veggies, something. Hopefully you planted something. And if not, guess what? You still can. <laughs> it is not too late. You can plant things on other days. You don't have to wait until Earth Day to plant things. It's just kind of a celebratory thing, but you can definitely plant anything that you want any time of the year that you want, even on May 8th, which is when the next episode is airing. And what are we going to discuss on May 8th? Well, I'm going to tell you a joke, catch you up on what's going on in my world and some other sustainable related things because <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> 
continue to save the world, sustain our nation, and I will talk to you all again on May 8th. Have a fantastic rest of your day and rest of your week. I love you all very much. Take care, and I will see you on May 8th. Bye.